As Josh said, this morning's Bible reading is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. So follow along in any devices you've got, or it'll be up on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, yeah, as I said, it's great to be here. But before I, before I start this talk, I guess I'd like to say a talk that I've done in recent weeks at other churches was from the book of Acts, wonderful missional book. Uh, and I called that talk, The Gospel Goes Out Through Gospel Relationships. And uh, I guess just to say thank you to all of you for your wonderful support. Uh, as a church, we've been... Before Leif and I were even married, we used to come along here. Uh, as I said, as, as a young guy, I came to faith here. But the support from Tungabi Anglican over so many years uh, has been wonderful. And really, the stories that you know we've been able to share over these years of travelers coming to faith and communities started. I, one of the figures that I really enjoyed working out recently was that I think we've fed about 10,000 uh, travelers over the last 15 years. That's a lot of people. Um, and just to say to them, uh, we are feeding you this meal because we love Jesus, we love you, we pray in the name of Jesus, and uh, people that love Christ from all around the world give us money so that we can put on this meal. And I don't say, you know, Tungabi Anglican, but I say Christians in Australia and in Europe and in America um, have put this meal on for you. And these travellers are like, Wow, this is the best story about church I've ever heard, you know. They are so, they've been so thankful. And so that's what we together have been able to do. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. But enough of that sermon. Let's, uh, let's get into this one. I have met lots of remarkable people in my life. Uh, there was a Russian couple that we met in Thailand. They love riding bicycles in remote places. In fact, they rode their bicycles across the desert of Mongolia for 35 days with their two-year-old son just on the back of the bike. A Tibetan woman who didn't walk around her holy sites in northern India, but she would uh, prostrate herself every three steps um, as a part of her devotion. I met a hyped-up stock market uh, player, and he said to me with these sort of twitching eyes, like, I only need two hours sleep, you can't. You can't miss out on all the action. That's what he said. Everybody, everyone's looking for a way to make life work and to provide meaning and to provide answers. Everyone's looking for their own, you know, version of happiness. Christians, over the last two millennia, we have been looking to Jesus for answers. And today, what I want to do is share, hopefully, some good reasons as to why that's the case. Now, the image that's been with me as I've been preparing for today's talk is from a kid's version of a 17th century book called Pilgrim's Progress, which some of you will know, and we've got it up here on the screen. Um, that, his name is Christian, and uh, Christian, as you can see, 
Uh, well, you can't see his face too much, but in the rest of the book, he's looking very distraught. Not, not the rest of the, the first part of the book, I should say. Very distraught. Uh, he's got this thing, and in the old language, it's called a burden. He has a burden on his back, and it's, I don't know, dark, angular, heavy, big, uncomfortable. Christian is on a journey to try and get rid of his burden, to get free from his burden that is crushing him. So the topic of today's talk is about what does Jesus say about where we find answers to our deepest questions? What is our greatest need? Now, the people that I mentioned earlier, they would say, cycling, we need adventure. The Tibetan lady would say, uh, we need austerities, we need sacrifice and devotion. Mr. Stock Market says, we need money, we need lots of stuff. Jesus makes an incredible statement in today's passage. He says, we need him. He says that if we come to him, we get what we really, really need. What our souls need at the deepest, most precious part of us. So let's unpack that because it sounds a bit abstract. The Christian faith is about relationship. It's about relationship with Jesus. But why, why is relationship such a big deal in the Christian faith? The Bible says that God has created us for relationship. Why? Because that is the way that God is. I want to give some examples of our need for relationship, which I would say further are actually clues which point to our need for God. I remember having uh, crushes when I was a kid and when I was a bigger kid and when I was a teenager. When I was an adult, I had a big crush on, on the best of them, my dear wife. I remember having the joy of having a best friend in in primary school and being able to hang out all the time and catch blue-tongued lizards here in, uh, in Wentworth Field, where I grew up. And um, the, the, the sadness of when he moved up to, to Queensland when we were just young teenagers. I remember one of our children, as a three-year-old, being very upset with our adult friend because that friend decided to marry a 27-year-old and not our three-year-old. <laughs> very upset indeed. The difficulty of uh, lockdowns that we've been through when we can't see the people that we love. Relationships are key to who we are as people. But why, why is the God of the Bible all about relationship? We could say that it's a part of God's DNA. God's essence is a community of three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community together of love and connection. And today's, in today's passage, Jesus invites us to come in to that beautiful relationship. Now, notice that Jesus' invitation, it's not to a philosophy, it's not to an ideal, it's not to a lifestyle, it's to relationship, a relationship which is meaningful and full of love. But who's invited? There's so many uh, wonderful things and surprising things about Jesus that, uh, that thrill me. One of the common misconceptions is that Jesus is for uh, the neat and the tidy. If that's the case, I'm in big trouble. 
Jesus is for the, the moral, uh, the boring, the conservative, the white, the middle class, um, the ones that have their life together. But Jesus says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened. Jesus invites the strugglers, the ones who are not doing great. In Matthew's biography of Jesus' life, up to this point in chapter 11, we have seen Jesus help the uneducated, the low class, the poor, the lepers. I've seen leprosy and and it is such a sad uh, disease. Jesus has helped the non-religious, the spiritually troubled, the disabled, the cheaters, the bleeding and the women. Just a few verses earlier from today's verse, Jesus said that God has hidden these truths from uh, the wise and the learned, but he's revealed them to little kids. This shocking reversal of the way that we normally see, you know, hierarchy in how life works. The switched-on go-getter has a less, less chance of finding it, but kids and and battlers, people that are struggling, they, they've got a better chance of finding out what Jesus is talking about. Now, Jesus is not saying that successful people, that the intelligentsia of society are not invited. Jesus gave his time to anyone that would come to him. If we look at Jairus, Jairus is just one of those examples, and then we have the bleeding woman straight after that. Jesus is like a soup kitchen. It's only the needy that come for a free meal. The well-fed, they're just not that interested. Now, the epitome of weariness is what you see in the parents of a newborn. How many of you have had a newborn at some stage in your life? Show of hands. Okay, all the ones that are falling asleep, they still have the newborn. When you're trying to get your baby to sleep, you're desperate because it's been a hard day, which happened after a hard night, which happened after a hard day, which, you know, you get the picture. You're trying to get the baby to sleep and you think, is my phone on silent? Like, and then you think, if the courier knocks loudly on the door right now, when I'm so close to getting the baby to sleep, I'm going to feed the courier to the dog. <laughs> and then you think, if the dog barks, the dog will have a new home with the courier. And as you creep out of the bedroom and you turn the handle and you're, open, you're like, I, I can't believe that I still haven't oiled the hinges and the doorknob. Like, I've been planning to, meaning to do that for months. With ninja skills, you creep out and it worked, finally. The exhaustion of a new parent. But in contrast to that, I have a seven-year-old and uh, those days of being a baby are over, but sleep is still just as difficult. I say, um, Ruby, time for bed. I haven't brushed my teeth. Okay, go do it. I need water. Okay. Um, Finally gets into bed. I forgot Scruffy. Now, Scruffy is a a toy which actually, if you need to know, Scruffy is alive in in real life, Ruby would say. Um, Okay, go and get Scruffy. I can't find Scruffy. Okay, so I go and look for Scruffy. Five minutes all around the house. We even look inside the car, and then Ruby says, I found Scruffy. Scruffy was in bed all along. Isn't that funny? And I'm like, yes, that's really funny. (laughs) 
I didn't say goodbye to Mama. Okay, go and say goodnight to Mum. I didn't say goodnight to Taryn. Go and say goodnight. I didn't say goodnight to Molly, the other, the other real dog. Okay, into bed. I need to do a wee. Okay. I need thicker socks. Okay, into bed. She's in bed. I can't get to sleep. I'm not tired. And then the final moment when I think she's asleep and she says, Papa, you forgot to pray tonight. It's like, oh, so then I pray prayers about the fruit of, um, the spiritual fruit of patience, prayers of how long, O Lord, and prayers of thou shalt not commit murder. (laughs) If you offer rest to a worn out parent, they're going to take it. If you offer rest to a perky seven-year-old, it's like, just not interested. Now, I have been a little trivial here, I realise. But in the last two years, I have learnt a lot about being weary and worn out. I have struggled more deeply in the last couple of years than ever before in my life. And that Jesus offers rest to people that are worn out and struggling like me is very, very good news. Now, if you don't need help, I guess that's, yeah, that's your call. But if you do, Jesus is waiting. Now, we need to move on to what Jesus actually is offering here. Jesus invites us to what? He says, if we come to him, we get rest. Now, I'm tr- I, I, we need to be a little you know, solid and practical here. The whole idea of rest is, is just too vague, but thankfully there's more information, and it is this word, this idea of a yoke. Yokes are mentioned a lot in the Bible, but what are they? Now, a young German traveler with less than ideal English many years ago sitting with us in India said, with, I, I, don't, I don't want to put on a German accent. I know how to say Kartoffelstampfer, that's a potato smasher. But um, She said, I love the idea of Jesus' yoke. We we're having a meditation on this passage. I love the idea of Jesus' yoke. I just imagine the yellow egg just running all <laughs> over me. Not, no, not, not that yoke. That's not the yoke we're talking about. A wooden beam that goes over the shoulders of an ox or a buffalo. We saw them all the time living in Asia. Uh, as an animal pulls a cart or a plow to do the work. But in the Bible, it's also, it's a symbol of ownership. The master has a, has a yoke over the subject's. But yokes can be um, abused, of course, depending on who the master is. When God brought Israel out of slavery from Egypt, he says in Leviticus 26, I broke the yoke of your slavery so that you could walk with your heads held high. That was a yoke of oppressive uh, slavery that God rescued his people out of wonderfully. And Jesus says that's exactly what the religious leaders of his time were doing. They were loading people down with more and more rules and regulations and burdens and insisting on this, don't do that, do this, you need to live this way, crushing people under the weight of all of that. And so Jesus rebukes them in Matthew 23. He said, you load people up, but you don't lift one finger to help them. But if you think about it, if you're 
if, if the yoke that you have on you, there's so many types of yokes, if the yoke that you have on you is a yoke of, you know, religiosity of, of this is who I am, this is how great, this is how holy or moral, this is how disciplined I am, and you're trying to impress God with that, well, you wouldn't want to help someone else with their yoke because you wouldn't want them to flourish. You, you want yourself to look good and not someone else. But what are some of the other things, even good things, that can master us and in time might make us a slave? A job, if we don't set good boundaries. A lust for money can become a slave, or just straight up lust. Addictions are another clear example of slavery where the drug or the drink or the internet ends up controlling you and ends up ruining your life. But as I said, even the good things, a political cause or a sport, they can control you. If, if, if our identity is wrapped up in that good, even in that good, uh, in that good topic, that good thing, they can become a yoke that burdens and binds and we can be in slavery to that thing. Now, I want to tell uh, a quick story, well, a story of a woman, not that quick, but it's not that long. Her name is Skye. We'll say that her name is Sky. She visited us in the river Ashram in India many, many years ago. She loves Jesus. Her and her husband came and stayed with us, and they were a wonderful blessing. Uh, we saw her recently, and she gave us a card. It was a card that she'd drawn while she stayed with us in India, in our ashram. And it was of today's passage, Jesus saying, come to me, come and have my rest. It was so, it was amazing. I said to her, I'm about to preach on this passage in just, you know, a few weeks. And she's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Um, so I wrote to her and said, would you be willing to tell us about some of the ways that Jesus' yoke has freed you? And this is what she said. As a younger Christian, I struggled with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I remember being held up for ages at a restaurant because they had coloured tiles on the walls and I couldn't leave until I touched every colour. I also had an obsession with my right side over my left. If I went upstairs and my left foot fell on the last step, I would stop, switch, and finish the set of stairs on my right foot. If I looked over my left shoulder, I was compelled to look over my right shoulder too. There were many variations of these quirks and superstitions, but the driving force behind each one was this. If I don't do this, something terrible will happen. This is, of course, is untrue, a lie from the father of lies, which I believed. My heart issue was this. I wanted to be in control of my future. It was exhausting. It was embarrassing. Then she said that there was a sermon and a testimony of a person's baptism, which really helped her. She, she continues, that was it. I realized I was being mastered by my OCD. I was relying on it instead of God for my future well-being, satisfaction and contentment. This awful master demanding so much of my time and my energy. And in return, it gave me nothing more than exhaustion and embarrassment. In Jesus' name, go away, I'd say aloud when the urges would come. Jesus controls my destiny, not you. I would say aloud when the lies crept into my mind. When I came to the top of the stairs and finished on my right foot, I would purposefully stomp down on my left. I purposely did the thing that made me uncomfortable because I was declaring to myself that Jesus was my master, not my OCD. Isn't that a fantastic story? 
Jesus offers a yoke that brings peace and life and help. Now, the commentaries that I've been looking at have different thoughts or suggestions as to what this yoke uh, with Jesus looks like. Some say that, you know, a wooden beam with, for, two, for two animals, um, it could be that Jesus is walking alongside us. Others say the idea of Jesus, you know, driving the cart and steering us, directing us in life. Jesus teaches us, whether it's by our side or from behind, Jesus teaches us. And what does the master say that we need to learn? He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Men, are we gentle with our wives, with our children, with our employees? Women, are you being accepting of abuse because you think that that's what it is to be gentle or submissive? Please don't put up with that. It's not okay, and you need to get help. If that's your situation, you need to tell somebody. Now, the thing about yokes that we wear, for better or for worse, is that we pass these yokes onto other. We pass an expectation onto other people. If your yoke is harsh, demanding, if you're flogging yourself, if you're just dragging yourself through life trying to gain other people's approval, you will then put that, that yoke on somebody else. You will demand that of them. But if we have the yoke of Christ, the yoke which brings contentment and freedom, we will offer that grace to other people as well. We can go through life being a blessing. We can be humble and gracious. We can be a better friend. We can be a better co-worker. And our yoke becomes easier and easier as we learn to step in time with our master. And people see it in us. And people benefit by the work of Christ in us. Now, what about our society? What about uh, institutionally and historically? What are some of the yokes that we've had? As Leif mentioned, Australia's First Nation people have had literally that yoke of slavery for centuries to our shame. And the effects have lingered on in terms of loss of place and loss of family. There's overt racism that is, is levelled at Indigenous people all around the world, including here in Australia. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says that we should carry one another's burdens. How can you lighten the load for your neighbour? How could you lighten the load, whether they're a refugee, First Nations person, someone that's lonely or someone that's struggling with sickness, someone that's had a new baby. And one more application is uh, something that I'm trying to learn, a rest-filled lifestyle. Jesus so often withdrew to be alone with his Father, to be recharged and to be refreshed. So I want to tell a story about um, two pastors. Leif said, it sound, when I read of this, she said, it sounds like that guy Adrian Plass. He's like, Brendan, you're showing your age here. Fair enough, I am. Two pastors. There's Chilled Charles and Harried Harry. But they could be any Christians, really. Okay, Chilled Charles, he's a relaxed guy. 
He works hard and he's faithful, but sometimes he doesn't answer his phone. He's always talking about his day off and how excited he is about his day off. He's talking about prayer retreats and family holidays. He openly says that he doesn't enjoy meetings and he would prefer to have coffee with people. His favourite illustrations come from his solo weekend camping trips. Sometimes people complain that he might be a bit of a bludger. Someone once said, he has his head in the clouds and he's of little earthly good. He's a lovely guy, but I just wish that he would be a bit more busy. Harried Harry, on the other hand, is so devoted to his work. He loves the church. He attends every meeting. He's such a hard worker. I guess he's a workaholic. Oh, bless his heart. Such an example of a man that loves God and will do anything to serve us as the church. Never has a day off, even when he's sick. Well, not in COVID because then he ends up in jail. But even when he's sick, he you know, keeps pushing through. He has a high standard, but he would never ask us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. His wife is such a dream, caring happily for the 13 children at home while Pastor Harry cares for the church. I'm sure she's so proud and thankful. I once heard him say, I have two lovely brides, Sally at home and the bride of Christ. I'm sure Sally knows she's jo- he's joking because if a man loved his church better than his wife, that would be like having an affair. Ha, ha, ha. Who do you relate to and who do you think we hold up as an example of who the successful, faithful Christian is? Friends, I want to say let's enjoy Sabbath days. Let's enjoy holidays. Let's, Let's excel in excellent holidays where we enjoy God and his life giving gifts. And we allow God to be the Lord of his church and we allow ourselves to be humans that need rest. I hope by now you've seen some good reasons to consider Jesus, but I want to explore just a bit more this idea of being yoked to someone and how it can actually be a good thing, a very good thing. Even doing hard stuff with someone that you love can be a joy. Now, I love to ride a mountain bike. There's a young Aussie guy called Jack Moyer, I don't know if any of you know him, but he recently won the world championships. If Jack Moy invited me to hang out with him for the day and ride bikes, wash wash his bike, fix up his uh, puncture, if we skip lunch, if if our water bottles, you know, run dry, no big deal. I would even massage his feet after a bike ride. If I got to hang out with Jack Moyer, nothing would be a burden for me. The point is, the more we value Jesus and what he offers us, the more we will value and treasure being yoked to Jesus. He says, if you're thirsty, come, I'm the living water. If you're hungry, I'm the bread of life. If you're flirting with the idea of death, if you know what it is to be suicidal or you are suicidal, he says, I am the life. If everything seems dark around you and you don't know the way forward, Jesus says, I'm the light and I'm the way. If you're lonely and alone, he says, I'm the good shepherd. And if you feel crusty and dry and lifeless, he says, I'm the vine. Come to me and be connected with life in me. 
as we finish up this morning, there's one more concept of yoke that I deliberately left out until now. It's from Lamentations 1 verse 14. When I found this in the Bible, I was so shocked. The writer says some heavy words. He says, my sins have been bound into a yoke. A very confronting reality of the Christian faith is that if there is a God and we're created to have a beautiful relationship with God, well, then the Bible says that if we look for purpose outside of God, the purpose for our lives outside of God, that becomes sin. Sin is where our hearts look elsewhere for life. And God says that if we choose that, we deserve having something which is the opposite of rest. We deserve a yoke of unrest, a yoke of slavery that eventually will lead to our deaths. But along comes Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked to his death carrying a huge wooden beam on his back that he was about to be nailed to. The wood that he carried was a yoke. But it wasn't his yoke. It was our yoke, the yoke that brings death. But here's the exchange. Jesus took our yoke of sin and he died our death. And in its place, he offers us his yoke, his easy yoke, his life-giving yoke. And when he rose from the dead, just like that woman's sky that we heard from, when Jesus rose from the dead, he stomped down with his foot. He stomped down on death. He stomped down on the yokes that bind us and that crush us. And he says to each and every one of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you come to Jesus? Will you give Jesus your yoke and take his yoke instead? His yoke is good and his yoke will fit you. We've got another slide of, from the Pilgrim's Progress. See what's happening with Christian here. His, as he comes to the cross, his burden falls off his back. Friends, I like doing things a little differently. I'd ask if you could stand up where you are. If you're able to, please stand. Remember Skye as she stomped down her left foot as she said that Jesus is her master. I'd like to uh, invite you to maybe do a little stomping this morning. If you would like to, if you'd be so gracious to close your eyes and visualize any yokes that are enslaving you today. Things that are crushing you, burdens, passions or worries or habits or addictions, behaviors that are a long way from gentle and humble. Do you need to stomp on them? 
do you need to be rid of them? What Jesus says to you now is, come, I'll help you. I'll walk with you. Take my yoke. I made it for you. It'll fit you perfectly. Jesus invites you to go through life together with him. Let's pray. God, today's offer is very good news, but it's also quite confronting. I pray today that those of us here today would be willing to admit our need for help from you. Lord, as you died for us, may you enable us to come to you. I pray for any here this morning that have never heard of the yoke that you offer Jesus. I pray that you would gently and graciously draw them to yourselves. I pray for those of us here that have been walking with you, Jesus, for some time. Lord, may we cast off any uh, yokes that are hindering us, that are tempting us. May we only wear your yoke, Jesus. And may we know the freedom and the joy and the rest that comes from being yoked with you. Jesus, our master, I thank you for your love in your name. Amen.